In this episode, we talk about how conventional wisdom around pricing is sometimes wrong. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Not a whole lot. Been been busy with interns and whatnot, uh, which we can talk about in a bit. What's going on with you? I am uh, returning from Disneyland. Uh, I'm at I, I yeah. You know how they say when you have kids, vacations aren't vacations, or you need a vacation from your vacation. Yeah, it's that real. How you're feeling? Yeah, it's real. <laughs> how How old is Oliver? Like two? Four, Fourteen months. Fourteen months. Yeah. So. Okay. This was not an, like, you didn't go to Disneyland for Oliver's benefit. This is a Sable trip. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, Sable loves <laughs> Disneyland. And uh, I love, lo- I love watching her enjoy Disneyland. Um, so it's fun. Um, but, but uh, we shared a, a hotel room with the baby and it was, uh, oof. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. Gotcha. And then straight back to work when you get back home. Straight back to work. I uh, got back at midnight, jumped, got some sleep. Sable's not feeling great. So she asked me to help out with Oliver. But like, as soon as I was about to help out with Oliver, I realized I had a meeting with JD. And so I was late for that. It's been, yeah. And then, you know, a work day and and we're getting to record a podcast on a great day. I'm actually been looking forward to this all day. You have? All right. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you say so. Um, well, cool. Yeah. What's, what's on your mind to talk about today? Um, well, I, JD and I are, um, uh, we, we kind of have this uh, cold outreach thing on autopilot. Um, it's getting mixed results. Like we definitely had some really, I think strong wins out of the gate and then they haven't really happened as much since then, which you mm-hmm. probably expected when we were talking. Um, but we kind of, we have a number of those going out each week. We've refined some messaging and I think it's, it's just one of those things that's going to build for Q4. Um, so we get a few profiles every, every uh, week and then, um, we're starting to, you know, we got that going and it's now like what other plates do we want to get spinning? And so we're going to try um, a couple of different things. Um, so I thought I could update you on that. Yeah, I, that sounds great. Before you do, like, what a bummer that it's never as easy as it seems like it's going to be. Right? Like, why Why do you think those early wins weren't, I don't know, sustainable or whatever? I don't have an answer for that. I think if I knew that, like, we would... F- fix it and do it more. Yeah. Um, I, I just like, it sounds like every marketing experience I've ever had where you run, you like fire up a new campaign or whatever. And like, there's, there's, it looks like it's working and it just, it never does. It's never as good as it yeah. seems. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not working, but it's not like, it's not going to get us there alone. Yeah. So, it's not like you can build your whole business around that model. Yeah. 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 But okay, cool. What else are you working on? So two, two other, two things we're going to prioritize this quarter is one, we're going to spin up. Um, there are people who sell leads sort of like what you're buying with the CRM. I, what was the company that you updated on last week? Yeah. Software advice is what software we're using. advice. Yeah. So, um, we looked into some health insurance specific lead vendors. Um, and we, uh, selected one and signed the deal today with Benepath. Um, which is a basically a lead purchasing tool. And uh, so we're going to buy, I think it's a hundred leads or something like that over the course of a month. Um, maybe that's not right. Maybe it's 10, you- 40 leads for a month. And okay. we're going to see they're basically people who have requested health insurance quotes um, okay. and in Utah. And so we're, we're going to um, basically it's 20 bucks a pop. Um, pretty expensive, um, but we'll we'll run a test for a month and see if it works. And if it works, we'll keep doing it. If it's 
um, not working, then we won't do it. Yeah. Remind me what your kind of LTV or average MRR or whatever you want to say it. Um, I, you know, I, I, my goal is to pay back in two and a half months. So it's all cash payback for me. So, um, that's about, that's about a hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah. I mean, 20 bucks doesn't sound that expensive. I mean, we're, we're in like similar LTV situations and, um, we're making again, very small sample size. I expect it's going to stop working the same way we just discussed, but, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're making it work. We're paying quite a bit more than that. I think we're paying maybe 80 to a hundred dollars a lead. And are you getting conversions? Uh, it's still pretty early and we have a really small sample. The answer is yes, but it's like one out of three people. So it's like, oh man, 30% conversion sounds amazing. But like, who knows what that'll look like after we bought like a hundred leads, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Um, but so we're going to do that, um, that launches today. And then we have been just sort of climbing. We talked about programmatic SEO last week. And so you think about it, like about a year and a half, about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, we invested pretty heavily in programmatic SEO. Um, and for like super long tail keywords that that ranks for, we're, we're um, you know, pretty much number one or number two on. But when you start getting into like more generic ser- long tail searches, like affordable Utah health insurance is an example. Um, we're we're um, kind of in the top 20 now um, for a mm-hmm. lot of those searches. So I, I'm, I'm, I want to prioritize a phase two of SEO. Um, I'm calling it SEO part two. Um, it's clever. And so <laughs> we're going to um, invest in some you know, on-site and off-site SEO to try to boost the rankings on those particular um, long tail t- keywords. These are searches okay. that get anywhere from 100 to 200 searches a month, um, but are super targeted. Great. So the, the point is not to get more keywords, it's to get uh, higher rankings for the keywords you got. Um, you said on-site and off-site. Can you share what specifically you're going to be doing? Yeah, there's like two main tactics that that I'm, that I'm I will try right out of the gate. One is writing new content that targets those long-tail phrases. Um, so right, right now, we don't have any content that is really specific to affordable Utah health insurance. And then the you know, second on-site piece is once that page is up... Um, making it clear that the current page that is ranking for that term, it mm-hmm. points to that new page. Um, so this yeah. is something I, I often wonder about is like, you know, Google doesn't want anyone to understand their algorithms, obviously, because then they're easier to game. But like, I, I always worry that I'm like watering down the keywords somehow there versus like trying to invest more in like you're pointing a current, a page that's currently sort of working at a new page that, isn't yet working. Could that tell Google, like, actually don't look at that first page, look at the second page and potentially even hurt? Maybe. Um, My experience says that like when you write a better article for the query, Google rewards you for that. So, um, you know, I think I'm not trying to game anything here necessarily. I'm actually like, there's someone searching for affordable Utah health insurance and I'm going to try to give them something that's more likely to help them. Um, And I think Google rewards that. So you've got a page that's ranking for that keyword, but the pay- you didn't mean to rank for that keyword. Okay, okay, I misunderstood. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it's Utah Individual Health Insurance Guide that's ranking, um, and so um, I'm gonna, you know, I think we can write a, a better, um, a better piece of content for that yeah. person that's searching that query, and uh, and and then Google, to, you know, inst- you kind of point Google towards it, yeah, and then, um, you know. We should, I know that we'll definitely beat our current page, right? And so then right. the question becomes what other pages that are outranking us can we also beat? So if anyone is trying to like th- generalize this, it's you 
you've got a website, it's already attracting some traffic. You go look at what keywords it's attracting and say, oh, I didn't even mean to target that one. Whatever page it's pointing to, whatever page is generating that traffic, you have that point to a new page that's actually targeting that specific keyword. Okay, so Mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to find. uh, Yeah, we should probably do that at Less Knowing where like, rather than try to figure out through more complex means what keywords to target, just pick the ones we've already got uh, that are kind of... Oh yeah, the best stuff is the stuff that you're in the top 24 and Mm. it's like you want to get on the first page on. That makes a huge difference. Um, Okay, cool. But yeah, we have a bunch of them. So I'll, I don't know, I I would probably target... um, I'm just looking, I'm pulling up the list right now. Um, But I'm thinking like if we can find 10 to 20, that's, you know, piece of content a week for a quarter. Um, And then, so phase one is write the content. Phase two on-site linking strategy, um, mm-hmm. make it so the content, it's clear that the content supersedes the old content for that particular keyword. And then the third is sort of off-site inbound linking. So, you know, finding a question on Quora, it's like, where do I find affordable health insurance in Utah? And answering that question, linking back to the article in question. Gotcha. Cool. You're not Pretty- doing like like kind of go out and like reach out to bloggers and try to get them to link to you or it's all kind of like user generated content sites that that Mm -hmm. you can create these backlinks from i usually do pretty minimal stuff like if it's a pretty long tail keyword there's not a whole lot of competition in the first place there's not much you need to do and our site's already getting pretty good credit from google so i expect we'll probably um you know, link in. I'm, I'm, ooh, it's interesting. Like the other thing is back, like what we're talking about is backlinks. Um, a great tool for this is Ahrefs. Do you have a tool? Do you have that tool? Yeah. Yeah. We use that. I mean, it's incredible. Like I just logged in and I'm seeing all the pan, pando, um, uh, not pando, excuse me. I'm seeing, I'm seeing all the backlinks and I'm just noticing like all these different sites are linking to us now that I like even covered California is linking to us, which is this California state marketplace. Interesting. So we're getting, because we have good content, we're starting to getting inbound links and that makes it easy to, you know, it's kind of a virtuous cycle that, that leads to easier rank. Yeah. That's cool. So that's, that's the second thing. Um, and then we'll, we'll come up with some other growth tactics, but, um, you know, do you have any, what do you think about that? Like, is it, it feels like we kind of, it kind of felt like we were hitting diminishing returns on, um, our effort. It's not like something we want to stop doing. We definitely want to continue doing it. So we're basically like, yeah, we'll do like, hundred new leads per week, um, that are cold, um, keep that going. Um, and then we'll start a couple of other uh, channels. Yeah. I mean, uh, that sounds great. I especially, I like the buying leads thing because you know, we're going through this less knowing serum where you're trying to generate leads, right. But everyone else in your field is also trying to generate leads. And the nice thing about this is like, it, it, what is a lead worth to you versus what it's worth to someone else? And if you've got good operations in certain ways, or like in our case, I think we've got good, once someone sees us, they're likely to use us. We have really good conversion rates from then on, but we're like generating those leads is super hard. So it's kind of this weird arbitrage where some other companies like we are good at generating leads and terrible at servicing them. You're certainly good at servicing them. I'm not saying you're as bad at generating them as I am, but like it seems like there's a pretty clear <laughs> business model there uh, where someone else already has the lead. So yeah, I'm pretty bullish on that. And SEO, as you know, I always say this, it's like the dream. Uh, I've never gotten it to work all that well. I, I've gotten it to work in kind of like medium ways. And then every time I try to be deliberate about it, like here's the keyword I want or whatever. It's like, oh no, 50 other companies wanted that keyword too. And they won. <laughs> <laughs> they won. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. We'll have to, um, we're not good at, it, at generating leads either. So yeah. I think uh, I think uh, we want to get better, and so we need to try new things. Yeah, I did want to. That made me think. 
I'm not taking any action on this right now, but we talked, I brought up programmatic SEO, um, uh, an episode or two ago. And one of the ideas that I think if I remember correctly, you were bullish on was, uh, that, but I was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it, but I'm getting more bullish on is giving, uh, profiles to our customer, like, like, uh, giving our customers the ability to create pages for their business. Um, I've just like, since we talked about that, I've been thinking more and more when I talk to a customer or read an email, I've been asking myself, does this company have a website? And like a mm. lot of the time, the answer is no, like more than I, cause I hadn't really been paying that much attention to it before. A lot of the time, the answer is no. And if I could just give them a really simple, like it, it wouldn't be less annoying CRM cause that's not a very professional brand, but you know, like smallbizpages.gov or whatever, <laughs> not that, but, yeah. uh, give them like a little profile somewhere. I actually think a lot of them would take us up on it and it pairs really nicely with a different feature we want to build which is web forms. Web forms. I was just I was thinking contact forms and you, yep. yeah, totally. So it's like if you want a web and, form and scheduling links. And scheduling links. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you can kind of have this little mini website with these things, but like in order to use the web forms and the scheduling links well, every per, every customer that uses it gives us another page that can rank. Do you remember when I said like when you you remember how you that you had that long list of things that uh, or that sorry, I meant short list of things uh, <laughs> that like development engineering could help yeah. uh, drive from a growth standpoint. I just think I think the more you focus on this, the more ideas like the one you just came out like which is like good for customers, good for mm-hmm. our long-term product roadmap and will help like generate leads. It all comes into one and man, th- find more of those and work on them. Yeah, I've actually got a pretty a much longer list than I did when we talked about it. Exactly <clears throat> like you said, once you start thinking about it and paying attention to it, the, the opportunities start kind of smacking you in the face. That's so, so cool. Yeah, we're in the middle of, we've basically got the bandwidth to do three kind of medium to big projects at once. And we've, we're in the middle of good, three good ones. Uh, it's not that I regret picking any of them, but they're not quite like that. Um, but the next round, once these are done, I think we're going to really open up a lot of new stuff. So I'll, I'll keep you updated. It'll probably be months before we do that, but uh, I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What else, what else is going on with you? Um, tell me, I, I, I've got like a couple other things to talk about, but they're, it's a little bit, I guess it's kind of related. Like, so, so when we were doing our personalized outreach, we've been testing with different outreach strategies and what did it expose? We got a reply from some person. It's like, hey, like that was a really good personalized email, but it'd be better if you didn't focus on so much personalization. And actually, told me what you did. Yeah, you know, like it was like we, it's we not we like got oh, I see you have a dog and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so we we took that to heart and we we started working on messaging and it sort of exposed like okay, how do we how do we tell people about us and like the elevator pitch? Um, and so we started working on that and. We know we need to update the website with what we've learned. It's too like generic and over complicated. Um, but uh, you know wh- we don't know necessarily what to say. And so uh, we, one thing we did to solve this at People Keep, which JD and I both were involved in, was we created a a, a point of view. Um, and we realized like we're, we're kind of missionaries in a way, um, in that we're going out to this very old market and saying. We don't want to say this is a new way of doing things, but we have a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, so we're promoting like this, like why you need an agent, why you know why it's good to have an agent with health insurance, why you know leg up health is is worth taking you know a minute to make your agent. And so um, the concept is called a point of view, and you basically it's like a brand story, but you write it as sort of a pretty missionary driven thirty sec thirty to sixty second pitch, and it you get that right and you fill it with all the meat of the problem that you're solving, 
and you know the solution that you're that you're bringing um, and your differentiation. And um, if you get it right, what should happen is when you talk to an ideal customer, they go, "Yes, that's exactly right for me." And when you when you talk to someone who's not an ideal customer, they kind of look at you like, "I have no idea what you're talking about," <laughs> because it's so targeted. Yeah. And so we're um, we're working on that POV for Leg Up Health together, and it's a really interesting exercise. So a challenge here that I can imagine is like, it's I imagine it's a different point of view depending on whether you're talking to someone who has an agent and you're trying to convince them to switch to you versus someone who like just went online and bought something and doesn't have an agent. Because I imagine one's kind of like younger, I don't want to talk to people, the internet solves all problems. And the other is like very old school and they, their objection might be like, yeah, but do you really have my back? Like, can we mm-hmm. can we go play golf together? Um, can you target both of them at once or are you picking one or the other? That's interesting. I haven't really thought about it from um, that like demographic perspective. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a good question. I, we haven't figured this out. I want to be very clear. Like, yeah. I don't know the answer to this and we in, but I think we probably need to pick our a generic one um, and, and focus on that. It's probably more li- likely to be the millennial don't, doesn't want to talk to anyone versus the guy who wants to play golf. Um, yeah. That makes but, sense uh, to me. But yeah, like, well, you know, we've got enough of clients to say like, Hey, let's talk to, you know, Steve, you know, let's pretend we're talking to Steve. What do we want to say? Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it's a hard exercise. Uh, and it's, but it's a fun, it's a fun one. And I think what, what our plan is, is that we're going to spend like the next few, it'd probably take a couple months to work, to get it right, actually, like, um, you know, test it. And then once we have it right, we'll, we'll sort of align the whole website. We're going to massively simplify the website and align it around the POV. So we're just saying the same thing over and over again. Cool. Um, and then I think we'll be in a good place for open enrollment. Great. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We're kind of going through, I mentioned we hired demand Maven, this consultancy to like, they're doing it all. So I have a few updates related to that, but like they're ultimately doing exactly what you're doing for us. But like, I'm kind of like making up in my mind. I'm like, what like, guessing at what they're going to do because I'm like they're like dripping information to me and I'm um but one of the things on my mind is exactly what I just said to you we have two different types of people coming to lessening serum there's you're switching from a different CRM or you were using like Outlook or nothing at all and how do you talk to both of them I think we figured out or I think I've got a theory as to how to speak to both of them even if you're switching from Excel you almost always evaluate multiple CRMs at the same time and if you're using a CRM you're at least comparing us with what you're using. So I think we can do the like, aren't those other CRMs annoying regardless of which of the two it is? But like, we, I think we can tweak our language to like fit both of them a little bit better. Yeah, and there's probably like your core purpose that like shines through on both of those. It just, so I, the POV would sit on top, the, the POV that I'm thinking of would sit on top of that and would really yeah. get your emotional um, connection and then you would adjust it and align to it for each of those uh, viewers, but like more specific to their, to their needs on a particular website page, for example. The problem is the jobs to be done is different for the two. Like if you're using Excel, the job to be done is like, I need better reporting and stuff to stop slipping through the cracks. Whereas if you're using Salesforce or HubSpot, the job to be done is like, you're, you're already, you've got the reporting. Mm. That's not the problem. It's that you, you can't onboard new users or it's like a totally different problem you're solving. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, that's probably not true with you though. Even though you're talking to two different types of people, the problem is like you, you want health insurance and you don't want to be uncertain well, about it's it. A, it. No, you're at, it's actually, you're, you're hitting the same thing. Like when, when you're 
looking to buy health. It's either you you ha- don't have health insurance and you want to buy it, or you have health mm-hmm. insurance and you don't have an agent, or you do right. have an agent. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, you, your pain when you need a quote is much higher than you know. <laughs> when you need a health insurance, you don't have it. It's it's a much more like you know different pain point than if you have health insurance and you don't have an agent. This is why I think like all big companies, their websites end up turning into like just meaningless platitudes. <laughs> like I haven't checked Slack's website recently, but I know for a long time it was like where work gets done. It's like that doesn't tell you anything about what Slack is. And it's because there are so many personas and so many use cases that they just can't speak to them. So they have no choice but say something super generic. But that also means like that's our opportunity, right? As small businesses is to like just pick one and speak directly to them and, and say, okay, we're going to alienate everyone else. Slack is your digital headquarters is what it is now. Is it? That's a little better than where work gets done, I guess. <laughs> um, what, tell me about you. Yeah. So, well, another update on the the demand maven stuff. So again, they're, they're doing this whole thing and they're going to like give me a report. So the fact that I'm paying attention to it is sort of like a waste of time. It's just fun. Um, but what they're doing is they're doing customer interviews. So they asked us for like, uh, we're starting with 10 interviews of our happiest customers, which by the way, let me just pause. This is something I was always really nervous about with customer interviews is I was like, I don't honestly want to get on the phone and have someone tell me why they're unhappy or all the things that we could do better. Uh, it just would be demoralizing demand. Maven's like, well, no, fuck them. Like if they're not happy, that's not the type of person you're trying to target. So don't talk to anyone that doesn't already love you, which what a relief, first of yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but so they're going out and doing all these customer interviews and they record them all. It's like over Zoom. And so I just, I'm doing like no work, but I've got this library of customer interviews to watch. And it's been like really eye opening and interesting. Um, like, first of all, just seeing a professional do a customer interview has been nice. Uh, and it it isn't hard, is one night. Like, it's there's literally a script of questions that she's running through and asking, which isn't to say she's not good at it, just like, I'm a lot less intimidated by it than I would have been before. Um, but then also, like, I've been really kind of fascinated by the answers we're getting. So I thought maybe I could run through a few, like, I would love to hear takeaways. this. Um, so first, you've, you've done this type of thing. You know how to do, like, customer research. But for people who don't, like, the questions are very behavioral. It's like, tell me about you. Tell me about your company. Um, what were you using before Lessening CRM? What was the, th- the thing that caused you to look for something else? Why'd you go with CRM, with Lessening CRM? And then a bunch of questions that, it's all the same question, but like phrased different ways. Like, what do you love about less annoying serum? What's the number one thing less annoying serum does for you? If you describe less annoying to someone else, what, how would you describe it? Um, and it's just trying to get like all these buzzwords and keywords out of people that we can then take and put on our, our homepage and stuff. So that's, that's more or less how you would do it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's just the, for, for the listener who hasn't done this before, that's the basic uh, kind of template here. So first of all, a couple of the things that... We've so I've listened to maybe six of these interviews, so not a huge sample size, but enough. A lot of stuff goes against what all the thought leaders in our space say. Um, The biggest one, I just tweeted about this earlier today. I think out of the six I've heard, five of them said the main reason they used us is price, Hmm. which you just hear everyone say nobody buys based on price. Customers are not as price sensitive as you think they are. Raise prices, you only want to go after the big ones. Now, one of those people might counter what I'm saying by being like, well, you've got shitty customers, right? They'd be like, you you got the customers nobody else wanted. Just because they bought because of price doesn't mean that's a good way to go. But I don't know. that That's just wrong. We have great customers. These people like love us. They're super easy to work with. They're actually relatively high LTV because they they're all 10 plus users. Um, so just 
one one anecdotal data point, some people buy stuff based on price and they said if we had been more expensive, they wouldn't have used us. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that they would have... Um... How, but how did, like so so do you think that that's why they started looking at i would yeah yeah, so, yeah. okay other follow-up questions about yeah so, the, the, so let okay. me i can answer what you're thinking right now yeah they picked us because of price when asked what their favorite thing is none of them said price what do they say uh different things like um really a, a lot of it a lot of it has to do with customization um and the reality is we're less customizable than most of our competition but it's so complicated with them the, the funny thing is the people the, the customers they interviewed they didn't say Less annoying serum is easier to customize. They say it has customization features that the competitors don't, mm. but it's because they couldn't understand the competitors. They're just wrong about what the competitors could do because it was so complicated. They couldn't. They 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 don't even understand what the features are, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so customization was one. Simplicity is another. This this is kind of point number two here. A lot of people say you can't sell with simplicity is not a feature. Uh, you got to do jobs to be done. You got to do like, this is going to make you more money or get you more leads or whatever. And multiple of these interviews, they were like, simplicity is my favorite thing. Like basically they were saying the word simple needs to be plastered all over the the homepage. (laughs) Um, that's, that aligns with less annoying. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. But, but I've just seen so much advice that like you, you can't build a marketing message around that because everyone says they're simple, which is fair. Maybe there's something to that, but, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so, sorry, I'm kind of bouncing around, but back to the, so they, they looked at us and took us seriously and chose us largely because of price, but they're not listing that as their favorite thing now, which I think is an important distinction. Well, it's that the price got them in the door, but then you need to like all the things the thought leaders are saying you need, you need a great product. You need to provide a lot of value. That's absolutely true, but they might look at you because of price. Like if I wanted to start an intercom competitor right now. I'd get a lot of eyeballs by being like, Intercom's pricing is terrible. We cost a tenth what they do. But then you also still have to have a product that competes with Intercom. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? I think that's right. I, and I, I'm just thinking that like, if you can, it's really interesting to think about how to do that with an with a entry-level product and then have an upgrade path that mm-hmm. um, extracts more value. I feel like Front figured that out for some reason. Like That's the company I'm thinking of that is easy to enter into as a small company, but like, and you get a ton, it's a great product and you get, you know, yeah, why did I pick front? Like it's cheap, but it also is a great product. But if I really want to unlock its full potential, I've got to pay lots, a lot more money. Yeah. I was going to I don't think of it as cheap because we pay them a lot. What's their entry level? 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Per user. That's, not, that's probably not what you're paying. Uh, yeah. I think we're paying their next level up. It says is 49. I think we're paying somewhere in between. I think we're paying 35 or 40, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there are yeah. a lot of SaaS products that are cheap that are like on the venture, pe- like Notion, I think is pretty cheap. Slack is pretty cheap, but that's because they're going for like a mass market thing. That's not really what mm-hmm. like the bootstrappers, uh, I don't think that's a model I would recommend companies like us follow probably. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And then, uh, another note I had here, this is only one person that mentioned it. So like, I, I haven't heard this repeated, but like one person was like the 30 day free trial was huge. Everywhere else is trying to give me the shortest free trial they possibly can, you know, five days, seven days, seven days. It's, yeah. it's not enough time. Um, and this is another thing thought leaders always say, oh, it's plenty of time. If they're serious, they don't need more than seven days. And anyway, I just had like one person say out loud, she, she tried multiple products and she's like, at the end of the trial, I couldn't tell yet. I didn't have time to get my users on board, get my data imported. I couldn't tell if they were a good fit. 
Blessing Serum gave me another month. So I continued the trial for the 30 days and it was good enough that uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't need to pay the other ones because I could keep doing this trial for longer. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, just all of this conventional wisdom I've just heard contradicted and it could be survivorship bias, could be selection bias, but like it, it's something, it means something. Do you, um, are you watching these interviews? So I, I'm, I've watched customer interviews before too. And mm-hmm. I always like find myself going, ask this, ask this. <laughs> Did you have any moments where you're like, please go like, please ask him this, like where you want to follow up with these people and ask them some, um, some clarifying questions. Uh, not really. No, but That's good. I, I think it's cu- So partially, yeah, they're good at doing this. And uh, even though they're following a script, like they go off script when necessary, but also this is like really specifically for marketing and not, it's not a product customer interview. They're not trying to figure out what feature should we build next or whatever. Um, so they're what, what the, what demand maven's really looking for, I think, is like what words do they use to describe it? And I don't think you need a ton of follow-up questions to get that type of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, this is man, that's that's a lot of value add that demand uh, demand maven is providing. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm impressed. It's also really cool that they they let us. They were like, "Are there any other questions you want to ask?" So I added a question to it, which is, "Are there other people at your company that probably should be using less annoying serum that aren't?" Because I'm curious about like, can is there expansion room for expansion? And so far, I haven't gotten any super interesting th- stuff out of that. But it it is kind of cool that. Uh, well, and sorry, another. I'm just gonna like say nice things about Demand Maven. Another cool thing they do is like, even though they're not us, they represent the company real well. Where if someone like they have a question at the end, where like anything else, I can pass on to Less Annoying Serum team. And if if someone complains, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like. Well, definitely like they represent us well, which I was really worried. I was really, really worried about a third party company acting on behalf of us because our customers don't get that the person they're talking to doesn't work at Less Annoying CRM. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really nervous about that. And they've done it like a super good job of representing us well. Um, and have you got anything from that question? I love broad open questions like that at the end of a customer interview. Um, anything you want to pass on to the team? Um a couple of people have just been like, I love you guys, like amazing <laughs> customer service. Uh, and then a couple of people, a couple of people like kind of said what features they wanted built, but there was a different question. There was already questions like what's, uh, what's the thing that stresses you out about lessening serum is how they phrase it. <laughs> what's the question? What are the answers to that? Uh, different things. Like everyone's got their own feature and th- they're all super understanding, right? These are people who love us. So they're like, oh, I would love integration with this product, but like, that's only for credit unions. And I get that they're not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) Or better reporting was one, but I actually did take a handful of notes like, oh yeah, like we should do that. So uh, it's been really good so far. Is there a takeaway for you that like maybe you should hire someone to do this regularly full time? Uh, I'm not quite there, but my my takeaway was this. I, I don't like talking to people. I'm a huge introvert. It's, it's draining for me. If I have one customer conversation, I always enjoy it, but it, it kills my productivity for the day. What I'm realizing from this is like, I can still learn all the things from a customer interview without being the one on the call, which I had never considered before. Before I was like, well, someone, if someone else does it, they also have to be the one to take all the notes and to take, get all the insights out of it. And I'm like, oh, someone else can just go do the call, record it and show it to me. I just, I had never considered that as a possible workflow. So yeah, I'm getting there. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, and we haven't even gotten to the good part of the engagement yet where they start saying, hey, here here are our marketing ideas based on that. So we'll, we'll see what else comes out of this. Um, so I, I did want to speak, uh, one of the topics I said there was 
people are saying the low price mattered a lot. And as you recall, two years ago, we raised our price from 10 to $15. And I, I am like a little in my, in my own head here. Like, was that the right decision? I don't have, never know. Yeah, we'll never know. We'll never know. (laughs) But, um, like the way the numbers look right now, our revenue is going up entirely because of the price increase right now. We're basically not growing users hardly at all, but as $10 users churn and $15 users join, we're not growing quickly, but we are growing and we wouldn't be at all without the price increase. The flip sounds side like of that a good is, decision. Well, well, okay. It sounds like a good decision when you look at it that way. Flip side, maybe the reason we're not growing users is because we went from being the cheapest CRM to like tied with 20 other products for the cheapest CRM. And I, I wouldn't you, have thought that $5 would matter, but after hearing these interviews, oh, maybe they I don't, do. You, I, I have a suggestion. Run a $10 uh, campaign yeah, for 60 campaign. days. <laughs> you, yeah. don't have, you don't have this look for that, do you? Well, I, we've talked about this, right? I think A-B testing pricing... I don't. I, I don't think you can do it the way people say you can because no. there's so many second and third order effects about this that you that mm-hmm. you wouldn't notice. I agree. I, I don't think that's why I say you. You don't know. Like I think you just have to be. I mean, I don't think you've made a huge mistake with the pricing, but like, have you left money on the table? Yes, somewhere. Like either not raising prices enough or not raising right. or raising them too much. But like. I mean, are We're you probably happy not w- at the perfect level? Yeah. Are you happy with where you are as a business? I think the answer is yes. So mm-hmm. you've got to say like, good job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I guess I, uh, my thought for, for the, the audience is like right now we are a, I think good product with on the, the <laughs> cheapest level. I think if you're starting a new CRM right now, you want to be the cheapest one. I don't think you want to be the same price everyone else is and then compete on features. I think you could get a significant number of customers just being the cheap. I don't mean CRM specifically, but any of these mature software categories being the cheapest one, I am more convinced than ever is a viable strategy. What do you think about like a, the most expensive, but perfect for like the credit union integration as an example, the most, ex- like sorry, a niche, go after that. a niche, like, and yeah. just say like, I am for, let's just say real estate agents. Um, and I am the perfect CRM for real estate agents, and I'm three times the cost of less than CRM, but it's worth it because I'm for you. Yeah, so those exist in almost all of our verticals uh, right now. Definitely, re- real estate has like 20 of these. Um, and yeah, they're three times the cost is almost exactly right. They're normally in the kind of $45-ish mm-hmm. range. Um, and a lot of people use them, but the people who use us are like, oh yeah, I used them. They had all the integrations I wanted, but A, the product was shittier. More on that in a second. And B, I, c- I couldn't afford it. Now the product mm. being shittier, you could say, well, could we build a really good product? Could we build a non-shitty version of those and beat them all out? But I kind of think no. And what I mean by that is like you if you have such a small niche, like you're you're capping the size your company can become. You could have a really nice, profitable, high margin business, but like the best software is always going to be built, I think, by the biggest companies. And I think if you don't go mass market, someone else is going to come along and use those economies of scale to like just have a more polished product than you. That's my theory. What do you think about that? No, I think that's probably right. Yeah. So I think the future is specialized CRMs that are unpolished, but exactly functionally what the customer needs competing with mass market CRMs that are like way more like consumer level polished products, but it's like a million Zapier workarounds and stuff like that to get it to actually do what you want it to do. Yep. Which do you think wins or, or is, is it just both? Every, both of them? Yeah. Both of them. Market's huge. Yeah. 
All right. Do well, you, I've rambled. What is your answer? Myself. Did your price increase help? Like, do you feel good about your price increase in hindsight? Yes or no? Um, yes, but that's because we've made other decisions as a business that make our made our margins troubling at ten dollars. If we didn't have the really good customer service, the really small average account size, all that stuff, I think being at ten dollars would have been better. The problem is like we made so many other constraints around ourselves, we just couldn't we couldn't be profitable enough at that price point. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, all what right. else you got? Yeah, this is, again, I don't know what there is to talk about here, but I've just noticed myself listening to fewer and fewer podcasts like this one. <laughs> Why uh, is that? I don't know. Well, yeah, I used to listen. Oh, I still do, but like it used to be the only podcast I listened to were two founders talking to each other about stuff. And I don't know if I'm like having a mood, just like burnt out on it or what, but I'm listening to more and more podcasts that I don't expect to learn anything from like just pure entertainment, pure entertainment. Like the, I just found out I do. Do you watch always sunny in Philadelphia? I I've watched it with you. When yeah, we, okay. when we live together. It's not like one of your favorites. I love that show. That's like, yeah, I know you do. It's my comfort show. So I just found out that they have a podcast and it's every bit as comforting as the show. It's just so easy to listen Wait, to time. Are they in passes. character? No, but they're more similar to their characters than you'd think. Wait, who's on the podcast? The three guys who are the writers. So, um, in the, the in the show, their names are Charlie, Dennis, and Mac. Oh my the, the gosh! Three of them. They write the show. Um, it's just like super fun. And I've never listened to entertaining podcasts before, but I found myself recently. I don't know. I'm just like burnt out on like trying to learn all the time or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that happens. Yeah, I wonder if it's a phase or. Well, are you writing? I'm curious. Like, are you? Is this like a mm. across the board, or is this like maybe you've replaced your podcast habit with other learning avenues? I don't think I've replaced it with anything. No, uh, I mean I'm still learning. Most of my learning comes from Twitter, and I'd say second most was podcasts before. Uh, and I'm still listening to like my top podcasts, or just if I'm if I do a lot of gardening one week, I I get through everything. But uh. A lot of these, if I were listening to this podcast regularly, I probably stopped in the last few weeks. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, uh, maybe you outgrew them. Maybe you're like, this is, I'm, it's it's pretty repetitive, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good point. It is. And I, the, the two or three favorites, I still listen to pretty, pretty heavily. So yeah, that could be that I, they just. Oh, so you're I down from like, like 20 <laughs> podcasts a week to like two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And then okay. when I finish those two or three, I'm like, let's go listen to something fun. Okay. <laughs> And actually, yeah, it's a good point. The, the two or three I listen to are the ones where the founders have employees and like for their long meaningful revenue. Yeah. 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 That's probably what it is. Yeah. That's it's probably, probably it. it's probably less the style and more just like you're getting into a phase where there are less founder podcasts that fit your, your but I've interest. been in this phase since before I started. Like, I've, yeah. I've been in this mode for like five years, but anyway, yeah, uh, it's not interesting, but I just figured I'd share that. Um, you got anything? I, your list seems I'm done. I got nothing okay. else. Um, so I saw this uh, article online that I, I will link to in the show notes, um, and it's called We Need a Middle Class for Startups. Did that come across your radar? I have not seen it. Um, it introduces this term. I'm going to mispronounce this. Middle stand, I guess. It's like a German word. But I guess Germany kind of famously has all these like mid-sized businesses that have been around for generations. And they're just, they're just like good profitable businesses. But the point what, of this, what is a midsize business? Uh, yeah, I, I, sh I read this like two weeks ago when I added this, I think like, you know, 
hundred to five hundred employees, something in there. And it even okay. says like there are some that are ten thousand employees that probably still qualify, but like they're still run more like a um kind of family run or just just more like the 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 uh, ethos of a small business, but th- but they get bigger. Um, and the the article is just talking about how like it's not addressing our space specifically, but how mo- like in the bootstrap space, it's all about how much revenue can I get as a solo founder or a really, really small team, or it's like, I want to become the next Google. And it's just like, there's a middle ground where you grow, you do hire employees, you can get a lot more done. You can serve a lot more customers, but your goal isn't world domination. No, that's interesting. No, I have to take a look at this article. It's, um, I'm, I'm just skimming it right now. And it's like, basically, um, you know, there's this whole middle ground of exits that's you know beyond 10 million plus, you know, in revenues, and but below the unicorn status mm-hmm. that um, is pretty meaningful um, and important. Um, but like, you know, I'm looking at his advice, and it's like basically be indie as long as possible. It's like do all the things a bootstrapper does until some point. Um, yeah, but it, it's do the things a bootstrapper does, but. Without the, I feel like a, a lot of the bootstrapper space is all about lifestyle uh, mm-hmm. engineering almost, where it's like, be able to be a nomad and don't take on any commitments and all this stuff, which if that's what you want, more power to you. But I, it is true. You don't hear as much like, I'm going to be a manager. I'm go- like, I'm going to take on all of the stress and risk and downside. And and like, it's like I'm working at a bigger company. Uh, you don't hear that as much. Mm-mm. Why is that? I mean, I guess part of it is no, no one wants to. And why would you if you don't have to? Like, if you're some kind of maniac that wants to be a billionaire, it's a small price to pay that you have to like every once in a while you have to fire people. But if you're like, <laughs> all I want is to build software that's interesting to me and like, you know, spend time with my family. Why hire that employee and risk needing to like have needing to fire them one day? Maybe that's fair. I kind of get it. Uh, yeah. So so maybe there shouldn't be these companies. Maybe there just aren't. Well, I, sorry, I'm going to go off on a weird tangent here. This this occurs to me often, like, Less Annoying Serum has a kind of unique culture, and sometimes employees have said to me, like, man, more companies should be like this. Why aren't more companies like this? And the thing that makes me uncomfortable is a lot of time it turns to, like, that I'm some kind of amazing boss or something. And then I'm like, if you were the boss, would you do anything differently? And they're like, no. Like everyone, everyone, you know, would be generous to employees and would let people go home at five and stuff like that. That's not what's unique. The unique thing is that people like that never bothered to start a company. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't know how many people there are in the world that like have the weird drive to start a company and then also don't want to maximize profit or power or whatever it is once they get there. That's exactly what it is. Um, one other thought I had about this article, because I do disagree with one thing it says, it says more of these middle stand, middle stand, if I'm saying that right, companies should IPO, that that's like a really good option for mid-sized companies. I'm interested in what you think about this. Like, I don't think a publicly traded company can be what, what's described in this article. I think the, the way our, our fucked up form of capitalism right now works is like, if you are publicly traded, you have a bunch of shareholders and they are going to force you to try to grow as big as you possibly can. Is is there room in the world for publicly traded, like just happy where they are companies? 
I don't know. Like, I, I haven't been, I haven't worked at a public company before. I haven't experienced that, but I imagine that if, I mean, if you're public and you, I mean, you don't have to give up control of your company if you go public. You don't have to give up control, but you have some sort of duty to those shareholders, don't you? Yeah, but so, I mean, that's true if you have private shareholders. So, like, I guess you know, if you expand the conversation to like take on investors, like more so than just IPO, it's like yeah. you know, you have fiduciary responsibilities to any investor, including your employees. Like, if you are giving them any sort of compensation in stock, so it's like. Sorry, and I sort of mean that, but yeah. if you read the article, it's kind of saying like you should not raise money for growth, but you you still want to like these founders should be able to exit. Is it about uh, liquidity? Is that what he was? It's about arguing? liquidity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like. I mean, I get it. Um, but yeah, I, I, there are downsides if you go IPO for sure. Like there's lots of, a lot, a lot of downsides. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have to give up control. The IPO isn't synonymous. I don't think with like not being able to control your destiny. I'm sure there are examples out there. None of them are high profile of like, like there are examples of like Mark Zuckerberg or the Google founders like doing this weird voting rights mm-hmm. on their, like two different types of stock, and they technically maintain control. But like Google's a great example. They used to be the good guys. They used to work on cool tech just because it was cool to do, and now they're just like a horrible advertising company that doesn't <laughs> give a shit about anything else. Um, <laughs> like every company gets corrupted eventually. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm just bitter. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Are you ever going to IPO? <laughs> no. Never. No, I mean, well, yeah, I, I have technically left the door open for some sort of exit, uh, for less annoying CRM, but I've told people, well, yeah. Okay. I'm going to let's, let's go there. MailChimp had this exit. They told all their employees they weren't going to exit. So they didn't give anyone stock options. Then they sold for like $12 billion to Intuit or whatever. Uh, and all their employees were like, what the fuck you told us you weren't going to exit. And, and now the founders are billionaires and the employees got close to nothing. I do want to put something in place so that if if I change my mind in the future, I don't want to like give stock options right now because I think that's misleading, but I have been thinking about like rewriting the operating agreement to like give everyone a share in it just so that if we want to get greedy later, we can all be greedy together. Yeah, but you don't need to do that now to be able to do that later. I know. Uh, I, I know. Absolutely. But um, that's, you know, you, you often comment on how like we've built an environment of trust to lessening serum, and that is one of the ways to do it. Is to like oh, no, get I, ahead I of this agree. stuff. I'm, I'm doing the same thing with like Appel, like JD. There's a big difference between like what JD has in his hand signed from me right. versus like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'll take care of you. <laughs> right, right. Because that's what the mail and, and Mailchimp they they like quote unquote did take care of their employees, but they gave them all like ten thousand to fifty thousand dollars instead of at any other startup, it would have been millions I, for many. I people. don't understand that decision. Like, how many people was it? How many employees at the company? Yeah. I mean, they've got to have thousands, I would think. The, the The problem that you run into when you exit like that is that if you give people too much money, they leave, and then the company isn't worth anything. And so you you have to tie it up to like yeah all kinds of retention things, and then you know now all of a sudden Intuit's not as interested because all the employees are going to quit in two years when the retention mm-hmm. bonus hits. Um, <laughs> that is so tough. It's challenging. I kind of like the idea of putting a poison pill in place, though, because it's like. <laughs> When I say we're not going to sell, what I mean is we've literally made this in a worthless company to anyone else. I think there's something kind of beautiful <laughs> <Yeah>. about that. <laughs> That's exactly. Yep. <laughs> I, I did we did we talk about no? I talked about this when we were on our hiatus. Uh, when I was doing the podcast with Drew Riley, 
we did an episode on the book um, Small Small Giants, I think it's called. Have you read that one? Mm-hmm, I haven't. Which is about, it's about companies like us. I, I don't know that it's a great book, but it's it's worth reading for any startup to last company because it's like, oh, there are, there are companies like us that started in the 70s, which is kind of cool. Um, but one of the big problems that this book faces is like, how do you exit? Like at the when when the founder's ready to retire, you can't give the company to people because it's worth so much that the tax burden would crush everybody. So like the only option is to, according to the book, is well, it doesn't say the only option, but one of the options is to get acquired. I have I don't know the legal stuff behind this. You might know more about this than me. If you do something that effectively makes the company worth zero dollars to investors, you could then give it to employees and they'd have no taxes to pay. Yeah, right. Effectively, yeah. And the way you would there, there's something called a 409A valuation that, for purposes of like issuing stocks and options to employees, like sets the tax rate. Mm-hmm. And so you can go is if you can go to a firm and get a 409A valuation that sets like the common stock to pennies, just like yeah. a, a exercise price. Like that's that's what would protect the tax liability. Okay, I I'm not anywhere close to the point where I'm like. How do I, you know, how do I, how do I get away from this business while having like good stewards of it take over? But uh, that's on my the, mind. The reality though is like if you did that to get whatever you did to get the um, stock to be worth that from a four hundred nine A valuation standpoint would also make it worthless to the employee. <laughs> well, uh, the, it would be worthless to the employee as an investment, but it could be worth it to them to. Con- it's sort of like an employee co op at that point. Yeah, the yeah. book literally talks about employee co ops, and it's like. Literally, there's not a good way to give them that control without them having to pay more in taxes than the money than, than they can. But it did not address the what fact. If you that said, if, what if you put like the ownership in a trust? Uh, it's been. I think it talked. I don't know if it talked about that actually. How, so you put it in the trust, and then just like you have some kind you, of bylaws for yeah. like employees get to vote for what happens in the trust. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think the reality is that the book didn't want to confront the possibility that the founder doesn't walk away with all the value. It's like, <laughs> how do I get all the value and give it to employees? And it's like, yeah, you can't, <laughs> you don't get the value, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, which is fine. Cause if you've, if you're like retirement age and you've been running this business your whole career, hopefully you paid yourself enough during that time that you don't need to cash out. Yeah. Anyway. I don't have you any other it. topics on my yeah, list. I've got nothing else either. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm slow today. I'm I, I I understand what it means now to be a parent when you need a vacation from the vacation. <laughs> um, but I'll have more. I'll have more on the next episode for sure as we start executing on some of these um, growth growth experiments. Cool. Sounds good. And we've got we're going to do three weeks between episodes for the next couple, right? Because of yep. my my travel schedule. So uh, the schedule will be a little funky for a while, but then we'll go back to bi weekly. Cool. All right. All right. See you, Tyler. See you.